0: Today on The Scott Thompson Show on 900-CHML. Welcome to The Scott Thompson Show podcast. We hope you subscribe to hear more. Coming up on today's show, the Christmas lights will stay on this year. There is no strike at OPG. Can Justin Trudeau use his positivity to win the next election? And more ways to consume your pot. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. It is expected that today legislation will pass at Queen's Park that will prevent a strike or a lockout at the OPG. Uh, The opposition has accused the government of fear-mongering when there are less drastic, uh, drastic options available. What is the latest on all of this? Where did this story come from? It seems to have jumped off the back burner. Alan Carter is with us, anchor with Global News, and of course, Queen's Park Bureau Chief is with us now. Alan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Always great to be with you, Scott. Thanks so much.
0: Is uh, this story was a back burner issue that jumped to the front? Why are we talking about it?
1: Well, what the government said was that uh, that there was a possibility of a either a strike or a lockout that could then have an impact on power over the Christmas holidays. And, of course, you know, it, it makes for a nice copy to be able to say, you know, lights on for Christmas, government acting to make sure that, you know, you... You know, your bird isn't only half-cooked on Christmas
2: Day.
0: <laughs> Thank God we will have power at Christmas. Yeah, so you will not
1: need to buy that deep fryer to... Uh, although that does sound like a good idea. Although oh,
0: the whole fire hazard is... That's right, but, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, you get your camping gear out, you don't need power at Christmas, really, do you? It would be more festive, really. And you could set the Christmas
1: tree on fire for warmth. <laughs> so that...
0: That's it. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of pause. And pe- people wouldn't get into it, because, you know, it'd just be a bit different this year.
1: Sure. I mean,
0: we all remember the blackout, remember? We, yes. we made friends with Every, our neighbors. Everybody talks about how much fun that was. I bet it's even more fun in December. But I hate to pour
1: uh, a Frosty the Snowman on this whole thing. The reality is that uh, the, the parties have been without a contract since March, Um and although the 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 union did file a strike notice, it wasn't necessarily uh the only thing that the government could do and that's the that is the opposition contention here is is that there were other options there were other ways to handle this that legislation by the way has now passed in the House passed in the House in the last half hour uh the liberals by the way voted in favor of it uh voted with the government um of course that's only seven. People, Mm. but nevertheless, that interesting uh, enough. Mm. Obviously, the NDP voting uh, against it. Uh, The union expressing displeasure that uh, they have undermined the um, the bargaining process, the free bargaining process. And I think going forward, I mean, beyond the optics of you know the twinkly lights still on and the government really trying to you know benefit from that, um, I I think what you're going to be looking at is. How willing will this government be to just step in and preemptively – and, like, this Mm -hmm. is before a strike, even before anything happens, to come out and say, no, no, we're going to put legislation in in place that says you can't even – You can't go on strike. And what does that mean for the public purse? Because arbitrated settlements tend to be expensive.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, uh, Is this situation like others in the sense that it is... OPG, they are talking about, you know, a system that can't really be shut down or powered down the way, you know, other, you know, even similar to a postal strike, that sort of thing. This being much more serious. Does that hold any credibility with this argument? This is well, the, different. This is different because it's this. Well,
1: it's obviously uh, when we start talking about power and power generation, you know, I mean, it's, it's self-evident that, you know, the lights going off is just simply not. It, it's just not tolerable it, we just yeah. simply cannot have a situation in society like this that's built like ours where uh, a, a strike would impact uh, power that said the, the premier was asked straight out should we declare power workers a central uh, service then I mean obviously we have other people that we call essential service that we say you can't strike but what we do is we pay a premium for that because they all have arbitrated Settlements, and like I mentioned, arbitrated settlements tend to be richer. So there is a there is a cost to pay for taking away the ability to go on strike. Why and, would OPG
0: be against this, though? If in the end, most of the time when uh, when an arbitrator is involved, it's 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 more beneficial anyway. Well,
1: OPG would. Would not be. I mean, they, they haven't said anything against it. It's the power workers union that are uh, against it. I mean, the power workers union. Uh, yes, you could say, well, um, why would the power workers union be upset? You know, they're going to get a sweeter deal. Arbitrators. You know what? It, what it does is it takes it out of the hands of the negotiators. And right. and from the union perspective, that's not what they want.
0: So why PCs do this? Why, you know, some may say preventative uh, measure, but why not let due process take its course and then do this anyway? Is, that, is it is it easier just to get to the point? Why, why not let due process uh, run its course here?
1: Well, that's a good question, and you're asking about motivation.
0: Um, and, and
1: I think that a big portion of the motivation here from the ford government and it is optics like they they did not want a situation where there would be uncertainty right because i mean and to be fair to the ford government what would we be reporting on today if this did not happen Mm -hmm. we would be reporting on the fact that opg uh workers within the power of union have filed a strike notice and it's you know, T minus how many ever days it it was until they are actually in a a strike or lockout position. And so that would become a narrative over this next week. And the Ford government, I think, decided that that in the Christmas, you know, in terms of what time of year it is, was just simply not on. It's not something that they could tolerate. So they decided to go at this early and then get the bonus headlines of being able to say, you know, we're keeping the power on for Christmas. Um, by the way, Andrea Horvath's a Grinch.
0: <laughs> it's interesting, too, because for the first few months of of this uh, uh, premiership, some have said that he has reacted. This almost seems to be a, you know, preemptive strike. Yeah, I think... Looking farther down the road, perhaps? Yeah. I, th- th- this is what I think you want to pay
1: attention to. Is I mean, always in Ontario politics. It's the... You know, it's the pattern that it's set, especially with this government, and, you know, and we have a new government. What does this mean for upcoming negotiations with any number of public service unions? And, you know, and, and what, what does it mean when the government might face a strike by, eight? I mean, we've already seen that they legislated York back to work. I mean, they are clearly absolutely fine with using a legislative tool and to a labor disruption. And it, it's part of the ideology of the party. I don't a surprise to anybody. But the preemptive nature here—I think I outlined the special considerations around it. But I think that you're going to want to keep your eye on: will the government continue to do this, and right. will they do it because they feel like they've been rewarded this time around? Like they—you know—they like, like it played great this time, so maybe they do it again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, as you look back on the premier's first. Uh, few months in office, uh, your thoughts, uh, challenges and, and success, how, how has the first few months been?
1: I mean, I would, if I was giving a grade overall, I think it would be fairly high. I think it would be in the BB+, just simply because the government has done well in terms of communicating its key message to its key stakeholders. I think that I would give uh, subtractions for the number of own goals that uh, the government seems to have uh, played out. And and it's becoming more so. And so I think that, you know, I would be grading on a downward curve towards the end of the year, whereas in the beginning of the year, the sort of disruptive nature of the government to get right to work and up, you know, overturn this and change that, and you know, it's, it's all of that, I think, you know, gave a, a sense of urgency to this government that was sadly lacking in the, you know, final years of the Liberal tenure. Mm. Um, so I think that has been a breath of fresh air. But on the other side, when you look at things like the cuts to French language services, they could have handled that a lot differently. And, you know, they ended up, you know, isolating and losing uh, an, an Eastern Ontario MPP, Amanda Samar, who now sits as an independent. And I don't think they. I think if they played that one differently,
0: Mm. um, it wouldn't have happened. So creating their own situations, their own obstacles. How do they fix that moving forward? Because many would point to to what's going on down south and saying, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not making that comparison here, but you know, in a situation where really the problem's a two, they're making it a seven or an eight.
1: Yeah, I, I think you make a good point, and I don't think I, I don't think the comparison is completely off base. I I often complained recently on Focus Ontario. I had Martin Redcon from the Toronto Star, who, mm. you know, is often seen as a very lefty voice, and he'd written a column about comparing, you know, Trump slash Comey to Ford slash Tabner, and I thought, you know, it's I like well, that's low hanging fruit. Uh, and why go there? And his point, and I I, I take it, uh, is that, yeah, you cannot make Trump comparisons to Ford because they just don't go all the way across. There's the no, you know, yeah. there's not the dog whistle politics, there's not the nativist politics, but at the same time, there's a communication style that is similar. And there's also a disruption that is very similar. And mm. I think that those comparisons
0: are apt. Because Doug Ford is the personality that he is, does he have to do more to appear transparent than most because, as you said, it's low-hanging fruit? Uh, the OPP situation, another great example of that.
1: Well, again, and I come back to the own goal here. I mean, who, where is the voice in the Premier's office who says, Doug, changing the uh, qualifications... After the job is posted and then having a buddy of yours, someone that, you know, is clearly identified as a friend of yours through many media reports, having him become the head of the OPP, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where is that going uh, with this investigation that is now happening? Will we see uh, Taverner as the OPP commissioner, do you think?
1: Well, uh, the premier said, absolutely, that's what's going to happen. You know, it was interesting his press conference this week where he went on and on about how the rank and file of the OPP are absolutely thrilled they've been in contact with him. They've been just, they're absolutely overjoyed at Hmm. Mr. Tavener's appointment. Of course, the entire contention of Brad Blair, the now former acting commissioner of the OPP, and his stunning letter was that. It is precisely the opposite. It is a, yeah. a concern that this
0: system has been tampered with. So is it he who speaks the loudest?
1: Well, when you're the premier, you get the final say. Yeah. And when you're cabinet, you get to appoint the police commissioner, the OCP so, commissioner. That's the job of cabinet. And that's what happened, although Mr. Blair contends that the decision was made prior to a cabinet vote i it's difficult to say who knows how this plays out now it's now in the hands of the integrity commissioner there's some question about whether or not we'll actually see that report or whether it just goes to the premier and then the premier gets to release whatever he wants on it that that is somewhat unclear um and, and the question is is like, this has got the report from the commissioner for mr taverner to be able to be successfully installed The report from the commissioner is going to have to come out and say there is no basis to any of this at all. And I don't know if it's I mean, it will be shades. It'll be shades of gray as all of these things are.
0: So do you think the, the, the public will be any more secure with this decision after all of this? Well, I'll tell
1: you what it does is. It You know, the old uh, let's get a white paper move on it, you know, like the old federal government, yeah. like, wow, this thing is on fire. I tell you what, we'll put it out with a white paper or a commission or something yeah. like that. And that'll take eight months and, you know, a bunch of people talking and then we'll release a 500 page report and put everybody to sleep and no problem anymore. And I think there's an element of that. I mean, I think within the OPP, it's going to be still a big issue. And we'll see when the integrity Commissioner's report comes out. But I think some of the heat's gone away from it simply just because of time.
0: So as uh, Doug Ford and the PCs move into 2019, what is their biggest challenge? Uh, How will they fare? What what lessons have they learned here?
3: Well, I
1: think that, I mean, the challenge that's coming is different than the one that they've had. And the challenge Um, that's coming is the budget. What are they going to do? Where's the path to balance? We we have we see no path to balance as of yet. The, the government suggests that there's going to be one in their mini-budget that they released in the fall economic statement. But how are they going to cut? And they'll say, well, it's efficiencies, not cuts, but how are they going to actually achieve those things? And keep your eye on the ball on that. That comes in the spring, and that is going to drive... Everything pretty much up until the spring is going to be noise, I think. You know, of course, I said that last year in January 24th, 2018, the entire political world blew up Hmm. with Patrick Brown and his uh, late night press conference. But generally, generally, the first couple of months of the year are kind of phony war until you get the budget.
0: Alan Carter has been with us, Anchor Global News. Make sure you're watching tonight. And, of course, uh, Queens Park Bureau Chief. Alan, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated uh, all your calls this uh, this year. Much appreciated. And have yourself a great Christmas holiday.
1: Thank you. And same to you and to your listeners. And uh, really appreciate it. And always appreciate being on.
0: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900CHML. The end of the year, two different polls sharing two different views of where Justin Trudeau is hang- heading into 2019 and the next federal election. Uh, one says doing well, one says not too, uh, doing too well, but really from two different points uh uh, the information is broken down in the headlines. But basically, uh, in the uh, Huffington Post, Justin Trudeau's approval rating at lowest point since 2015, a poll says. That's done through Angus Reid. Uh, yet I'm reading off the global website. It's advantage liberals going into 2019 with conservatives needing a Trudeau stumble. Uh, that's from Ipsos. So, mm, kind of the same, but sort of different. Let's bring in Genevieve Tellier, Professor, School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa, and is with us now. Thanks for the time, Genevieve. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. So, one poll says that Justin Trudeau's numbers are the lowest since 2015. The other one says that's still enough to win. And in the end, is that not what matters here, considering where he is in his tenure?
3: Yes, it is. So it's uh, the real stuff, which is uh, less than a year now. So we'll see about that. Uh, my stand on that is each time I see a poll c- somewhat different from the others, I will wait for other polls to come out and kind of confirm that. Um, now, that being said, I'm not very surprised that the numbers are going a bit lower for the Liberals. They've been in power for a long time now, for three years. Uh, Justin Trudeau really had a long honeymoon with the Canadians, I would say more than two years. Uh, and, and if you think about it, his approval rate is still high. Uh, if you compare with Doug Ford, which is already low, just six months into the job, uh, it's still it's still doable for the Liberals. So I I won't count them out. And uh, it's still a, a tough fight for Andrew Shear I would say, to win this battle. On top of that, you have to look at different region in the country because the dynamic is not the same so of course in western canada i don't think his his approval rates are very strong but if you look in quebec for instance it's very high It's nearly 40 percent so and we know that quebec would be an important factor for the next election so uh, that's good also for the liberals
0: Uh, As you mentioned, uh, a prolonged honeymoon period with staggering numbers at the beginning of his term, uh, burning very bright. Does a bright honeymoon period like that mean that mm, a strong marriage or that it will burn bright and fizzle out?
3: Yes that's a good question. Um I think unless there is a big issue where he stumbles and that is uh, it's it, everybody disagree uh, that could harm the liberals or any government but I don't see that until now. So yes there are some deception. Um the electoral reform was not passed so many voters are not very pleased with that. But what would be the alternative? There's no alternative for the moment um the environment also and personally i think that this will be the main issue for the next elections um because of the new electorate, uh, the younger generation, they are very, very concerned about that. And even now, their parents, because they're n- we're not thinking what kind of planet will we leave for them. And so for me, it's going to be a, a salient issue. And until now, the Conservatives have not articulated any strong position on that. So they're going to have to work uh, to work hard on that. Um, other files, uh, look at international trade, uh, free trade. Well, yes, we have a trade agreement. It was not easy to deal with deal with donald trump trudeau did it so uh, it's a good it's a positive positive thing for him so really i don't see major issue maybe unless oil in the west and maybe you could expand a bit more on that later but uh, for the moment uh, yes probably another and i would say normally a second term it's what we see normally in canadian politics so uh, it's really for the liberal to lose
0: you talked about, and, and as this poll said, uh, depending upon whether he stumbles or not, uh, what what about the pipeline issue? Mm-hmm. Is that a stumble already, considering uh, it had all been approved, everything looked like it was going, and then the issue with Kinder Morgan came up, we end up purchasing the pipeline, now it appears to be stalled. Will Justin Trudeau get this built? How does he walk this fine line? Because he seems to be... Great at, at, at walking along the fence, but not necessarily making a decision either way. Yes. What do you think on, about the pipeline?
3: I think this is one issue that is a concern. For uh, it's, it's one file where the, the Liberals are not able to please anyone, so everybody is displeased with that. So if you are an environmentalist, you're not happy that we've paid billions of dollars to have a pipeline. If you live in Alberta, you're not happy because that doesn't solve the problem and you want to sell your oil. And so nobody is pleased. But what could help uh, currently the government is that the world market is not that great for oil. So you may blame the government for that, but I just read also this morning that the price of oil was still going down and because the yeah. demand is not there. And so you could always blame blame somebody else. So I think that it will be a blame. But do
0: you think kid. that Do you can... Canadian public's going to buy into that. I mean, you know, the fact that 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 Alberta's upset—it's not because demand is down; it's because they can't get mm-hmm. their their resources to to market. Yes. So, and again, they've drove that point home for a long time. Do you think you're going to be able to say, "Well, nobody's interested in oil anymore," and I don't know what Alberta's talking about? Do you think um, that's going to fly?
3: Not in Alberta, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> but
3: but elsewhere, yes, where people don't want to have a pipeline and don't are not really concerned about that although I would say that every I agree with Alberta. Every Canadian benefits from the oil of Alberta. For many years, we run surpluses in Ottawa because of the revenue generated by oil, and we tend to forget that. So, um so yes, it's for sure not in Alberta, and I think for it's a lost deal for Alberta for the Liberals. That's for sure. Uh, but elsewhere in Canada, especially Quebec and uh, up to a point in Ontario, people are not that keen about oil. Uh, and, all the, and as I said, the question of the of the environment for the next election, I think, will be the dominant. Uh, issue for i think and so uh, that will be uh, as a second it won't be the main it won't be dominant now how does trudeau address that he tries to present himself as being between both sides meaning right. i'm not a conservative i'm not an ndp i will spend but uh, up to a point i'll try to make the best decision reasonable decision and he tries to to, put, to present that image. And I would say that until now, he has not done bad. We may not like his decision, but he has still presented that figure, that position, and that could help the liberals because they want to be in the middle. They don't want to be seen as a, a left-wing um, government that sp- overspends, and we know there's a problem with the deficit. They are not right-wing either. They want to distance themselves from the conservatives. So being in the middle, so try to be a moderate voice for let's try to find some reasonable uh, solution. We're trying our best, and if, if we cannot, well, uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Does he risk uh, playing that? And, and you know, we've talked about that, that before that he'll he'll run right down the the center of the fence and and try to please everyone. As you get to this point in your political career. Can you continue to do that? I mean, it's like the Truth and Reconciliation Report, mm-hmm. when it came out with its 98 recommendations, You know, Justin Trudeau said, yeah, we're going to approve them all. Well, that's a little unrealistic. Yes. So you know, does he need to stop over-promising and under-delivering?
3: Well, I think this year, and it started already uh, since a few weeks, I think that this will be the year of delivering. And so uh, we have been told many promises for four, three years. And now they have to show up for something. So uh, yesterday, uh, uh, Minister Champagne, was, uh, the infrastructure minister, was in Montreal for the grand opening of the new bridge. By the way, it's not complete, so <laughs> there was already a celebration about that. And they want to show what they are doing, and we'll see a few things. So for first, things, well, at
0: least it started.
3: Yes, <laughs> but I think, and then we're going to see that uh, a lot for the coming uh, for the coming months. And yes, sadly, it's a electoral cycle, so that's we have now in our our, our system. And so be prepared because during the summer there will be major, a lot of announcement about what they have decided to do. Uh, pro- probably they will say, "So we st- we have started this, this, and if we, if you like us, we'll continue, or or we will finish the job." And that's how it it is done now. So I, I'm not kind of surprised they have talked a lot and not done a lot until now, uh, but I think there's something that's going to change just after the new year. year. I Uh, may be wrong, and so remind me if I'm wrong about that, (laughs) but uh, that's what I see. Uh,
0: What about what has happened with our relationship with China? Mm -hmm. And obviously, the the CFO of Huawei being detained back December 1st, uh, two more uh, uh, for national security reasons, and then a third Canadian detained in China. Uh, just this week in regard to what appears to be a visa issue. What about his handling of this? How will that be reflected?
3: Um, I think everybody agrees that it's a complex uh, issue. It's very difficult to deal with, uh, with China, if there's one person that could do something, I would say it's Trudeau. You know how he went to, he, he, he's done a trip over there in the first, in the, at the beginning of his mandate. He's, he was very well, uh, uh, he was welcomed by Chinese authority. They remind, they are, uh, they are still remembered his father. And so the Trudeau name, it's, it's good. Now, that being said, what could we do? On the one side, we have the American. On the other side, we have China. And we're a very small country. And so we try to do our best i 'm um, not an expert on chinese Canadian relations, but I have listened to experts and what they have what they are saying is that nothing comes out of the glue f- from China. They probably want something from us uh, and this' is for us to figure out what do they want. They probably want something to negotiate as a free trade that 's maybe the, the, the issue. Is
0: it that or do you think they want the Huawei CFO back and they're going to continue to keep detaining Canadians for any reason until that happens?
3: Uh, probably they will because we have seen that in the past. There was a Canadian detained for many months if not years, a few years ago and so it, it, w- it will take a long time. Uh, now uh, is it just for the CFO? I'm not sure. Uh, this person could have been uh, freed at another time with another mechanism I think so it could have been negotiated directly with the Americans and even if you listen to Donald Trump he seems to say I'll solve the issue and she will be free and there won't be any problem so I think it's deeper than that and probably about free trade so they want a free trade agreement for them it's important to open the door with the American in the long run they want that deal to be done before NAFTA point two two point zero is negotiated and, and, and fin- signed, finalized um and so they and they are tough negotiators so uh it's kind of difficult to na- navigate into that uh, as for trudeau what uh, is he doing i think he's doing what people normally expect him to do and so we'll see
0: should he be making a phone call
3: yes i think so uh, I think so. That would be important. Just to You know,
0: considering the history of the relationship, mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier, you after three, would you not pick up the phone and yes. say, hey, what's going on? Or does it get to four or five before no, no, that you, call is you pick made. up
3: the phone the first time. <laughs> um, and Why so, don't you think he's done that? Um, I hope he has done that. I'm not sure. Uh, we don't really know. I, I, I may have heard something that he was do, planning to do it, or he has. Done I it. had
0: heard reports that he has not done it as yet. That's so, the latest. So
3: yes. So so assuming he has not done it, uh, he was quick to pick up the phone with uh, Donald Trump. So uh, and and he's a, uh, I think he's good with personal relations. So why not? Yes, pick up the phone and 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 contact the Chinese authority and and speak friends with them and and, and find out what they want
0: uh because uh, it would appear that not knowing is 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 the worst option here mm-hmm. and and as we head into the new year again this this pr- this process this proceeding with the CFO it's going to take some time it's gonna, so yes. we do need some sort of agreement before again it just it turns into several being detained in china
3: yes and uh, what i'm hearing now is that people are kind of think, having second thought about before going to China, so would you want to go there? And so, yeah. what will happen? And what would the government do if you are detained? Uh, that's also a concern. So yes, I think it should be solved quite rapidly. That 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 being said, Chinese uh, authority are not known to be quick uh, uh, quick on acting. So they they want probably see things going a bit slower. Uh, But yes, I think uh, Trudeau should reassure the Canadian public and, yes, as you say, uh, contact immediately the Chinese authority. Now, that being said, I'm sure that Trudeau is uh, more advice on those files than I am, and so he probably knows what's best to do that being said you should explain it to the public uh, what's the canadian position and what they want to do uh, and what could be done now and what will be done or could be done a bit later
0: are you surprised that china's reacting this way considering how they're trying to you know come to the west with their 5g network and such and there's been lots of question as to how secure that is and whether you know we should be doing business with a company that's that's so interwound with the with the chinese government um I mean how can you sell the security of a 5g network when you're detaining people off the street
3: <laughs> Yes so it's a rule of law so the rule of law is uh, I know in China it may not have the same uh, signification that that is so it. can we
0: trust them to be the backbone of our yes. internet security uh, if, if, if the rules of law are so different
3: and be our major trade par- partner because yeah. they want that deal and so how do you make deal uh, business with uh, a country that doesn't follow the same set of rules than you. Uh, and so yes i'm not sure it was a good mood from their from them part because if you look at their partner, Canada is one of their strongest supporters because not everybody agrees with what China is doing about the five gs five g I think in europe australia um, new zealand the u s they don 't want china to to mm-hmm. be part of that, and so we are kind of the only country to say okay let 's do business and so to to target Canada. Um, that was the most surprising thing for me about that, is why why be so strong about Canada? What did we do to displease them that much? Uh, yeah, considering because,
0: this all started in the U.S., you'd think they'd yes. turn their attention to the United States instead of bullying Canada. That being said, let's get back to uh, the next election. We've only got a minute or so left. Uh, Justin Trudeau has said he's going to run a positive com- uh, campaign. He's painted the others as running uh a, a, campaign of fear-mongering and negativity Mm -hmm. can Justin Trudeau run the same campaign he did the first time and be successful does he does he need to prove more this time
3: Uh, one thing will be different is that um, uh, the first uh, at at the last campaign he he came out as being I'm the new face nobody knows me Um, I'm I'm the new liberal party and everybody forgot about uh, Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin and so this freshness was one key element was important. So we cannot come up with that. So it's gonna, you're going to have to say, well, I'm, I've been on the job. Uh, we have done a few things. Uh, and so now, wow, now, now, what? Why would you want to elect me? And uh, saying positive, uh, wanting to do a positive campaign is not a bad strategy because again, it's to dis- distance distances, distinct, to be distinct from the the opponent, and that could be a wise thing. Uh, for what I could from Andrew Shear, yes, it's a bit more negative and attacking strongly Justin Trudeau. Um, So yes, he's going to be able to do a campaign differently, and that was something he did the last time, and we saw the result, but not with the same message. And so now he's no longer the new face. Uh, he is now a traditional politician because the electoral electoral reform, for instance, we know why it, it did not materialize. Um, and so it's going to be a bit harder to, to do. Now, that being said, I think they will win the next election um, because they were strong, the first one, because people still remember the conservative and they may again vote against the conservative for that reason um and and yes the, the approval rate overall is still somewhat strong uh, compared to to the other party now there's one big question is uh, the bloc québécois the bloc québécois will have a new leader we probably know which one it will be because there, was, there is one candidate now. He's quite popular, he's young, he may have new ideas, and that may change the dynamic in Quebec. So that, if I had a suggestion, is to see things in January, February in Quebec to see uh, if the Liberals remain strong in, in that province.
0: Genevieve Tellier has been with us, Professor, School of Political Science, University of Ottawa. Genevieve, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great holiday. You too. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Labatt and BC, a BC pot producer, are teaming up to try to create booze-free cannabis drinks. Also, councils, as in Hamilton, of course, and others, uh, deciding what they're going to do and what their positions are going to be in regard to hosting these businesses as legalization moves forward. Let's bring in Brad Polis, instructor, Ted Rogers School of Management, Ryerson University, and on the line with us now. Brad, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Good afternoon, sir.
0: So, do we know what form these beverages are going to take? Uh, is this, I guess they're still all discovering this, but is this basically alcohol free beer with a buzz to it?
2: So, that is a thing. That, those products do already exist in the United States, and there's a company in Canada as well who's working on a similar concept. So, it will likely involve um, de alcoholized beer that has cannabis. Um, components added to it, not necessarily, though, to get you high, Scott. So it may not just be THC. They may add other compounds that come from the cannabis plant that don't ne- necessarily get you high. So
0: will there be, will we see two different types of beverages that will, uh, uh, that will evolve out of this discussion? You know, I guess time will tell, but one that will be more of a Uh, how do I describe this, one that will be more of a drink that you would take if you were going to have a beer or a glass of wine that would provide a high or a buzz, and then a separate sort of health line of drinks, which will just include, uh, won't have the THC, but will include uh, CBD, which is the compound that helps with pain and anxiety and such. Will we see two different industries?
2: Not not, not necessarily industries, but definitely two two different product categories within an industry for sure. Uh, we're going to see an explosion of CBD products. So unlike THC, CBD doesn't really have any contraindications. There's almost no times when it's bad to take CBD. And it has some very good prophylactic um, uh, properties, as you mentioned. So uh, swelling um, and seizures are the big two. So uh, I can absolutely see a world five years down the road where CBD is in almost everything. So yeah, that'll that'll absolutely be a thing. And then intoxicating beverages, of course, is another category within the industry. And and for that, we're going to see dealkalized beer that has THC added to it, and every other sort of beverage you can think of, also with THC infused into it.
0: Uh, before we get to that, uh, you talked about these beverages already being available in the United States. That would be the beverage containing beverages containing CBD as opposed to THC, correct? So there's already uh, companies that have that have uh, uh, taken the one element out of uh, uh, out of this and put it into drinks.
2: It's all been done already. Yeah, so yeah. And obviously
0: there's no concern there because it's not THC. Is that accurate?
2: Well, uh, that is absolutely a thing. But people are today also infusing beverages, both de-alcoholized beer and then other sort of poppy type beverages, with THC as well. Both are occurring today in the United States.
0: Um, so, how can these beverages be legal in the United States if cannabis is still illegal down there? I know oh, it's I know it's there in some states, but still, that's, they're actually that's what I'm referring
2: to they're I actually
0: mean, getting into beverages as well, even like on an on a state
2: level. Oh yes, absolutely. Wow. In fact, one of the Canadian companies, Oxley, um, has just recently done a deal with a company called Dixie Brands, which is one of the most popular brands down in the United States. So they'll be importing. I guess the brand property, um, the recipes, and the like, but not the actual product from the United States. They'll make the product up here, mm. um, and these are exactly those types of products. So, THC infused beverages.
0: Will we see companies that will have that will offer both of these, or will you be in the the intoxicating business, or you're in the medicinal business?
2: I, I think we'll see some that stay in one or the other. Uh, especially those who stay in the medicinal and don't want to sort of dip a toe in the intoxicating side. And then you'll see other companies that just have a really, you know, broad, broad offering. I could see, so, for example, there's no reason why Labatt's wouldn't offer an intoxicating drink, but they may also choose to offer a, a CBD version because, you know, just not to leave that part of the market untouched.
0: Uh, do we, uh, we really don't know how this is going to progress over the next few years, or do we have an accurate template of exactly what's going to roll out here?
2: No, we, we do not. In fact, we're just waiting for the government to release the first set of regulations that relate to these types of products. So within hopefully a few days, we're going to have a little bit more clarity on at least what will be allowed uh, product formulation-wise, There will be all kinds of rules, of course, that will have to be determined around that, but uh, hopefully we're going to get at least a window into that within the next few days.
0: I guess the biggest challenge is to beverage companies that are trying to do this is at this point we don't know what the regulations are. We don't know what the template is.
2: That's absolutely correct. Uh,
0: That being said, is this a big gamble, or do you just shoot shoot wide and, and see what you hit here?
2: I think there's a little bit of that going on. The other thing is, you you don't have to be uh, the greatest sage on earth to predict where this is going. Just look at California and Colorado to understand where at least the the consumers will pull it if the government will let the industry go there. So, uh, and I mean in terms of sort of what the product formulations look like, the packaging, um, uh, dosage sizes, all of that kind of stuff. There are some kind of conventions that have developed over the past few years, and I think the Canadian government will, for the most part, adopt those. Uh, what I do expect, though, is I think they'll be somewhat restrictive on the kinds of products they allow. For example, it'd be surprising if they allowed a gummy bear formulation. Right? Uh, there's no reason why an adult needs that, and it has obvious downsides.
0: So. Well, yeah, adults don't generally consume gummy bears, so why would they be put into that product, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um is uh, what about potency? How are they going to balance that? I mean, you know, with alcohol, which is I guess the best example we all know, we see wine that sits maybe 12, 15 percent, uh, beer maybe five, four if it's a lighter beer, higher if it's a high test, same thing with coolers. Mm-hmm. Is, is it going to be in that range? I mean, do they have to find what the equivalent of that is, like a five percent is in yeah. a, a THC based beverage.
2: It'll be it'll be in it'll be sort of that concept, but you 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 won't be thinking so much percentage anymore as milligrams of THC. And everybody who's a regular user of of cannabis uh, in an edible form has a sense of what their sort of appropriate dosage is, and they learn that obviously with with experience. So that's why it's you know go go low go slow um, for a beginner. Uh, you'll figure out okay ten milligrams is my perfect dose. Then you'll doesn't matter whether it's a beverage or, or a piece of a chocolate bar or or half a brownie. Um, you, you'll kind of know that you need your 10 milligrams. Um, they, the, the big trade-off is calories because for people who actually would like a very high dose, they find themselves having to eat an entire chocolate bar, which can be a little bit um, of a problem over time.
0: Um, everybody, uh, lots have talked about how that's an expanding industry uh, with edibles. Um, what goes into making an edible versus what goes into making a, a a THC infused drink? I mean, can people do this at home? Is it any different than people who
2: are baking their own brownies? Um, well, obviously, you're, there's a difference between making cookies at home and being Mr. Christie. So those, you know, those, <laughs> those scale differences obviously are going to be there. You're doing it at you know at industrial scale. Yeah. Um, the the processes have to be way tighter because you've got to make sure that dosage um, is consistent across your entire product offering lot to lot to lot to lot. So there's all of that, but the actual chemistry behind it and the, all of that is pretty much the same.
0: Where does this leave the alcohol industry? I mean, we're talking. The story started with Labatt uh, joining up with a BC uh, uh, pot producer. Where does this leave the alcohol industry moving forward? Well, will their brands and their variety be just a, a, a duplicate of what they've done with their alcohol with their alcoholic side? Would, would, I will would we, not. Will no, we no, see no, like six they're... or seven different? Because my goodness, it will, it'll be huge uh, expenditure for these companies, won't that? Won't it?
2: So you mean the actual creation of the brand? Yeah well, we're going to see huge cannabis brands. That, that's the reality. It might take a little while because you know, companies in Canada are being handcuffed by these packaging and advertising restrictions, but but those will relax over time. And, and even without that, just word of mouth and people, you know, becoming more and more exposed to the cannabis industry, um, brands are going to start to, they're already emerging. Um, so that doesn't change. And whether it's, a Labatt's or some other third-party company coming in and spending that money or or an upstart in the industry, if you're going to try to create a cannabis brand, it's going to take billions of dollars.
0: So $50 million US U.S. for this Canadian venture, is that enough to get them
2: going? Uh, it's a good start, but it's not, you know, it's not. By no means is it a huge deal in the uh, in cannabis world. I think the next thing you'll see is probably some sort of a direct investment, if not in Tilray and some other cannabis company.
0: Uh, When it comes to edibles, are we going to be getting things like typical uh, uh, cookie brands or or brands that we know and love that are going to venture into this, just like the alcohol industry?
2: I I, I think it's highly unlikely, uh, with the exception, possibly, of the non-psychoactive ingredients. As I mentioned earlier, I think in five or ten years, it will surprise you where you'll find CBD. It'll just be in so many different things. Um, It'll just become so non-controversial, but I don't. For imagine for a second, imagine uh, Mr. Christie selling. Um,
0: that was my next question. Dare, We're dare not going to see Dare, so. Mr. Christie, <laughs> jump into this realm with a glass of milk, no, are we? I
2: don't think. I, I if I was on the board of that company, I'd be I'd be incensed if the CEO came to me with a plan to extend my brand that appeals to children uh, also into cannabis.
0: And is that, what, is that uh, the issue? Is that the challenge? Because cookies are, again, like gummy bears associated with kids. There's, there's
2: two things at play. So one is just good brand management. You just don't mix those two things. Yeah. But two, why
0: mix alcohol then? Why, why would Labatt jump onto something uh, I like think
2: I think arguably alcohol and cannabis are, are cousins as opposed to right. you know, just in wild, widely different categories. Uh, the
0: uh, progressive conservative government announced uh, shortly after the election that they were scrapping uh, Kathleen Wynne's liberal uh, view of distribution of cannabis. Uh, Wynn government had said there would be 40 stores initially. Many complained that would be that would not be enough uh, once uh, legalization uh, happened. Uh, now the PCs have said that as of April first, only 25. Licenses will be uh, licenses will be awarded that's down obviously from the initial forty from Kathleen Wynn your thoughts on their change of heart uh, on this
2: yeah so uh, quite disappointing uh, for you know somebody who's in the industry and uh, I really don't think it's necessary so this is again the government doing the job of the market um, there are lots of companies that were trudging along with a plan that was based on the previously announced rules by the government and they were signing leases or at least options to lease on premises all over Ontario all based on the fact that they didn't know if they would get a license or not so these are business people who are prepared to risk money and now they're being told that regardless of you know the fact that you might be willing to to open a store and have very little cannabis in it but lots of other things to sell people um we're not going to allow you to do that instead we're going to artificially cap the number at 25 and it's like i say it's very disappointing i would much rather see the market work this out why do you and think the, why the, do
0: you think they did this especially after you know making a brouhaha about the way kathleen Wynne was doing it and they were going to do it better is this a case of them not being ready on april 1st I, for that a I, number of stores or is I, this I appealing
2: back to the moral base i i i, I, I really think it's the latter i I don't think there's a reasonable argument that the government couldn't manage licensing a hundred stores, but could twenty-five. Um, if the industry can do it, the government can. You can get ready by April first. Um, so, yeah, I think it really comes down to either you know appealing to the base or some misguided notion that they should be managing the market, which is absolutely not the job of the government. Well, so many there's, have... another, there's another really negative thing to this announcement, and I've not heard one analysts talk about this yet what they've done now is created a market for licenses the exact thing that we all said you should never do do not allow there to be a currency in licenses the way there are with taxi cabs i
0: was just about to say taxi cabs yeah
2: exactly what they've done yeah and you know
0: you have to think uh once you legalize a product like this then delay uh distribution and then once distribution uh finally happens it's in very limited supply uh, does that sort of not go against exactly what the whole uh, objective was here in the first yes. place, and that was to kill the the illegal industry? Because to me, were that that would just fuel the illegal industry because yeah. it's legal, you can have it, but there's no supply.
2: Sure. I mean, how would you feel if you were an operator of an illegal dispensary uh, the night that you heard that announcement? You'd be you'd be celebrating, obviously, because yeah. you just bought yourself another several months of operation. Yeah.
0: Uh, what about supply? There was always when the, when legalization first happened. I mean, issues around supply. They say that that's I don't know. Is that going to get better? Is that going to get worse? Is the fact that they wouldn't be able to supply these stores have anything to do with it?
2: Well, I mean, that's one of the theories is that the government's trying to you know ameliorate that situation. But again, I don't think it's their job to do that. Um, the, you know, there was a big, huge push in the in the early days of legalization. Uh, a lot of cannabis users have expressed. You know displeasure at pricing and packaging, and just the product formulations that are available. So I, I think that we've actually already seen a lot of the supply issues um, get at least reduced. Uh, they're by no means gone. There are you know pockets of shortages from time to time. Over the next few months, I, I expect to hear those stories diminish greatly.
0: What will it be like after April 1st? Um, 25 licensees, that would mean just 25 stores or 25 individual licensees that may be able to open other stores. Your
2: thoughts? So it's 25 individual stores. I suspect it'll be one licensee, one store, but that they haven't said. They have stated, though, that there's an embargo on licensed producers who will be ultimately allowed to have one store at their facility. They're not included in this initial round of lottery. so um they will be independent stores we do know that what we don't know is whether or not some of the chains will be able to build any scale at all uh, you know so let's say a fire and flower or a tokyo smoke which are two of the larger ones uh, are they going to be able to have five each or is it going to you know literally be down to one per company we don't know that yet
0: Uh, When will we know more about how these 25 stores will be implemented? Uh, How how will they look? Will they all be different because they're not under uh, – I mean, what are they going to look like? I mean, with the Ontario Cannabis Store, I think we knew what to expect or that they would all at least be the same. What will we see with this?
2: Sure. uh, I mean, if you go to the website of some of the larger ones, they've actually shown – they have pictures of what their stores are like. and Most of them are actually quite different, but they're also very very elegant, um, most of them. Uh, kind of light and airy, and um, trying to trying to sort of convey uh, uh, I don't know a relaxed atmosphere and uh, one of of hipness to a, to a degree, uh, but they're they're going to look nothing like the old liquor stores. I can tell you that it'll be it'll be really good mer- merchandisers here. I mm-hmm. suspect.
0: What about cities opting out of this? Uh- Hamilton City Council has uh, pushed this off to a, a January vote, whether to allow legal cannabis shops in Hamilton. Uh, it's been deferred uh, to the new year, a divided city council. What what advice, what do you say to cities that are thinking of opting out? What are their challenges? Are their costs being covered?
2: Well, they're not being covered if they opt out, and yet they may still have some enforcement to, to worry about because they may have illegal dispensaries, so I think it's quite folly. I really don't understand what you're trying to achieve. Um, the, the presence of a can- cannabis store does not create demand. It satisfies it. Um, the demand is in your city whether you like it or you don't. So all you're doing is a disservice to the t- roughly 25% or so of your citizens who are users of a legal product. And w- what societal goal you're uh, hoping to achieve is quite beyond me.
0: All right, uh, but clearly you don't know a lot about Hamilton Council, although you might because you've got Toronto <laughs> there, and it's a lot. Uh, anyway, we'll leave it at that. Brad Polos has been with us, instructor, Ted Rogers, School of Management, Ryerson University. Brad, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great holiday.
2: Always fun with you, Scott. Thank you.
0: This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.